morning. Welcome to Regina Apostolic Church Online. It's just really great to have you with us. Uh, whether you're watching in the morning or any other time through the week, glad that you stopped by. And we pray that this message in particular will minister to your heart. So many of you uh, who aren't able to make it out to the church have, have texted and said with how much they appreciated uh, that they have this online opportunity, uh, whether it's for COVID or other reasons, they're not able to attend in person, or maybe you don't even live in Regina and you're watching from a distance. So just want to say thanks for that. That means a lot to us, and we pray that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you during this time as well. Um, it's been a couple of weeks that we've been on the subject of the battleground, and uh, we're going to finish up session three today. There's one more session and I'm not sure if that will happen next week or the week after, but we will do it. We've been dealing with primarily the offensive weapons of the battleground. And the last session is the defensive weapons. So we'll get to that in, in the next session. Today we're finishing up the offensive weapons. And I just want to take a few minutes and just give you a bit of a review. The truth of the matter is, is as a Christian, as soon as you become a Christian, in fact, as soon as you're born, whether you're a Christian or not, you find yourself in the midst of a battle. It's just reality. You may not recognize what it is. You may not be able to articulate what's happening to you. But whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, you live in a fallen creation, and you're affected in, a spiritual, in the spiritual realm by the forces of darkness and the forces of good. Uh, and the ability to understand that that's true goes a long way to helping us to be successful in life. But we have to fight with the right weapons. So, in just in review, the battleground is our mind. That's where the battleground comes. That's where it happens. It's the thoughts that enter our mind and the things that we struggle with as a result of those thoughts um, that affect the rest of our lives. That's where the battle is. The battleground is our mind. And I just want to encourage you. I've said this uh, over and over each week. I just want to reiterate this. Don't live your life as a Christian and expect that your, your spirituality is going to grow through passivity on your part. The scriptures don't speak to any level of passivity. In other words, when I say passivity, I'm not talking about the fact that you, you, you know, you're a conscientious objector or something, you won't go to war. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being passive in terms of your part, the, play, the part that you play in your walk with Christ to grow in him and to increase in your walk and your anointing with him. So many Christians live in a passive manner, spiritually speaking. And they just kind of let life happen to them. And if they end up at church, they end up at church. It's not because you know, they necessarily see the benefit of that, even though the scriptures speak emphatically to uh, not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. They just, well, if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, I'm not. And many times they'll be influenced or there's an attempt on the Holy Spirit's part to influence them through the Word of God, through something that happens, through something that somebody says. And they just kind of brush it off, you know, just as if it doesn't exist or those kind of things because they don't feel, uh, as a result of bad theology, they don't feel that that's their place. Hear me. Your place is to walk after the Lord. The Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, are full of verbs that speak about what God wants you to do and what he wants me to do to be able to grow strong in our faith and walk after him. This is not an issue of our eternal security. That's settled. That's done. There's absolutely nothing you can do about that if you've come to know Christ as your Savior. 
But in terms of your day-to-day victory, your day-to-day influence in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, your ability to see people come to know Christ as Savior, and all sorts of other things, the gifts and calling that Romans speaks about that you own as a result of being born into this world that was placed into your heart at birth, all of those things will not be produced in a passive attitude. So please, ask yourself this question this morning or whenever you're listening. Am I a passive Christian? You know, am I passive in my walk with Christ? Am I allowing some, uh, some sense of, uh, how can I describe this, offense that I've taken against the church or somebody in the church? Did I have a bad experience or something? Uh, regardless of what church you go to, is there some other reason? Maybe I have a prayer that I didn't get answered and I just said, I just kind of tuned out and say, okay, God, if that's the way you're going to play, I'm going to take the ball and go home. Please, reconsider that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in grace and in love in your heart if you live a passive Christianity, and if you do, ask him to change that, not me. Ask him to change that and to show you how he wants you to follow after him. And it'll change your life. Don't be a passive Christian. Then we went on to talk about in the midst of the battle that we have to use the right weapons. And there were two types of weapons. They're fleshly weapons and they're spiritual weapons. And when you take both of those weapons and apply them to the battle of the mind, the fleshly weapons are things like, you know, thinking good thoughts maybe or, or distracting yourself or pretending they don't exist or something like that. All sorts of things we went through in the first lesson discussing the, the weapons of the flesh. The spiritual weapons, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6, and that's the premise, that's the foundation in the scripture for our specific uh, 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 series, the next uh, the last two and this one and one more, um, that particular scripture says that we don't fight against those type of spiritual forces of darkness with fleshly weapons. We can't do it. It's not possible. We need to have spiritual weapons. So we delineated those two and talked about what those weapons look like. Then we talked about strongholds and how they come into our life and what they look like. A stronghold is a thought process that over a period of time has become entrenched as part of your life. It eventually wears away at your soul as it has become, and it's made a stronghold in your life, sorry, uh, in a specific area. There's lots of areas that could be. It could be anger, it could be lust, it could be your appetite, it could be greed, it could be all sorts of things. And you know it's a stronghold because you can't control it and the Holy Spirit doesn't have control over it. When I say you can't control it, I don't mean that you, know, you can't come out of your room because of the fact that this thing is in your life, but I'm just saying when you try and address that and see change come to it, you can't see the change. It doesn't happen. That means you're not in control of it. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus died so the Holy Spirit would live in our hearts so that our lives would be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We have to give him that freedom. We have to, by an act of our will, say, you have that right, Jesus. But that's what the Lord died to give us. If we'll allow him to do that, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 1-6, we can see those strongholds not controlled in our lives, but actually destroyed by divine power. That's the promise we talked about. And so if you have strongholds, they usually will start as a thought, such as, uh, in the back of your mind, you can't get away from this thing as much as you try and change your mind, you know, or use some type of fleshly means of distracting yourself, whatever you do. Everybody has different things. But the concept would be, if I have this thought in my mind that God's left me, 
or that God doesn't love me, or that I'm useless, or that I have no purpose on the face of the earth. All of those statements, all of those thoughts are diametrically opposed to the Word of God. And so you can pick scriptures out to say, no, that's not true. According to the scriptures, that's not true. But you have to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that stronghold. And if you don't allow Him to deal with it, then you're going to be at its beck and call, as it were, um, on an ongoing basis. So I want to encourage you, if you find yourself with that particular stronghold, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has those, you have the potential for those, uh, that you ask the Holy Spirit to help you through these lessons, through the Word of God primarily, uh, to overcome them. Many of our strongholds happen, uh, they start, many of them start anyways, when we're children. If you had a mother or a father or somebody in your life that was an authority and was constantly saying to you, you're not going to amount to anything, you're useless, I'm just taking that tact for this illustration, whatever it was, it was demeaning to you and it made you feel that because of their position of authority and because you heard it so many times, well, it's got to be true, especially if you're a child, you're more likely to believe that. I know men and women in their 60s that are still suffering from that lie, and that's what it is. Let's call it a lie because that's what it is. The scriptures tell us that's not true, so it has to be a lie. It's something the enemy has, has foisted upon us. It's not just not true, it's a lie. And the difference between those two, in my mind, is that the enemy has given us that lie in our heart and our mind to dissuade us from the truth of the scriptures. It's part of a spiritual warfare. If that's your life, Take whatever particular example you want. But if that's your life, you have a stronghold. God doesn't condemn you for that. You're a Christian probably. If you're not a Christian, then you can have this same experience of deliverance from that particular stronghold if you accept Christ into your heart. But it's available to everybody, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 1-6, Paul said. Those strongholds are trespassing. That's not how Jesus planned for you to live. He wants those out of your life because he wants you to live a life that's more abundant. Jesus said, I come to give you life and that more abundantly. So those strongholds start with ingrained thoughts. They've, they've just come again and again and again and again and again and again and have kind of made a place for themselves in your mind. And in some cases, we've embraced them. In some cases, we've agreed with them. Whatever the case may be, those strongholds are in our lives and they're destroying us in certain areas. Some of those um, will, the next natural step is, is a habit that will help us to cope with that thought, such as alcoholism or drugs or uh, sexual promiscuity, all of those kind of things. Jesus is not condemning us for those things. He understands that you're just trying to cope, but he wants to present you with a better way. Destroy that stronghold so you don't have to cope with it. Jesus didn't give us a gift of coping he gave us a gift of freedom. The truth is, some of these areas of strongholds, we get used to them to the point that we actually put a line of defense around them. So Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 5. It says, we destroy arguments, all right? And we destroy every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God or the scriptures that we know are of God. We destroy them. So what are they? An argument is the ability, the necessity that you've, you've prescribed yourself. This kind of independent thinking that says, okay, if there's some problem in my life, I'm going to work it out. I'll make it happen. 
all right? I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong in itself, but when it comes to a spiritual issue in your heart and in your mind, you don't have the capacity to deal in the spiritual realm with a fleshly weapon. Paul made that abundantly clear in Corinthians and in Ephesians and various other places. So you can fight that battle all you want, but you'll always lose. Hear me, you'll always lose. Not just some of the time, all of the time. The only way to fight a spiritual warfare is to fight with spiritual weapons. And anytime we attempt to use any other weapons, then we're not going to win. All right. So those arguments that we place around ourselves is that sense of independence. I've got this. I'll figure this out. I don't know why I'm so angry, but I, I'm, I'll figure it out. I'll make it happen. And you actually defend the power that the Bible speaks about when it says it has divine power to destroy strongholds. You are actually keeping that divine power away from the issue in your life by putting a hedge of protection around it. As ironic as that seems, you're saying, hey, you, don't, you can't come here, Lord. You're not saying that pragmatically. You're not saying that in articulating it, but that's what you're saying with your actions. I've got this. So instead of the divine power being able to come in and deal with that, he can't deal with that until you deal with your independent spirit. There's another one on the outside of that. Some versions call it lofty opinions. Others call it uh, pretensions. And basically, it's pride in the Greek. And that means that I won't tell other people about my issues. I'm just not going to tell anybody. This is my deal. Uh, it's none of their business. I'm going to keep it to myself. Um, if you hear yourself saying things like, I don't need anybody's help. I can make it on my own. I'm not telling anyone. Then there's a good chance that you set up a second line of defense outside of your stronghold to try and keep those things to yourself, keep them quiet. You need to understand something. I understand totally what it's like to offer some intimate problem you're having to someone only to watch them just foist it all over creation seemingly, or even just to one other person who takes and runs with it. And they shouldn't. I understand that. I understand the reticence to be honest with someone. But there's a scripture that you need to understand in this. In James 5.16, it says, If you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you will be healed, it said. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. What does that mean? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Healing and, and, uh, and when it comes to sins being forgiven or released. What it means is that as I confess to someone I trust the reality that's going on in my life, what happens is the Holy Spirit just kind of rips the roof off of that part of my life. And his spirit shines in in light. You see, the, the enemy works in darkness. He doesn't work in light. And that's, where you, that's where, what you're producing. You're producing an enclave. You're producing a, a location for the enemy to keep things silent. And what you'll hear in your mind is, you don't want to tell anybody because they might tell somebody else. That's a lie. I mean, it's possible. And you need to be careful about who you talk to. But everybody has somebody, even if you go to a counselor who by virtue of their, their degree necessitates them keeping things in confidence, you got to tell somebody. Because what that does is that just takes the opportunity for the darkness to be dispelled by the light of the Holy Spirit. And, and James tells us that if we'll do that, that, we can be healed. So you have your stronghold like concentric circles. Then you have the outside of that, which is a line of defense called uh, arguments, which is your independence. You're going to figure this thing out yourself. And the last one is pride. And if you have any involvement in any of those two circles, my encouragement to you is to understand that Paul said to us that you have to destroy those things. 
You have to destroy those arguments. You have to deal with the pride in your life before the Holy Spirit is going to come in and is going to deal with the stronghold. That's where we left off last week. This is the last session. That was a long review. Uh, if there was an exam, you'd be all set, but there's no exam. You don't have to worry about that. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this is probably the most practical uh, lesson that I have for you. So pay close attention. I'm going to give you some, some tips, some things that I've learned from the Scriptures, applied to my life, things that God's revealed to me, that has literally changed my life. I'll reiterate what I said in the first session, that this is probably the most revolutionary truth that God has shared with me outside of salvation um, that has changed my life, um, probably uh, outside of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So these principles are not just for me because I'm a pastor, but they're for you because you're part of the priesthood of believers. We're all the same when it comes to that. What's Paul speaking of when he talks about taking every thought captive? The point he's trying to make is you need to understand how the world, the flesh, and the enemy influence our minds. And they do influence our minds, all right? Here's the deal. The devil can't read your mind. Some would say that's an argument from silence. Not necessarily. And I don't have time to unpack that. There's lots of examples throughout the scripture where there was demonic interference that didn't lend itself to an understanding that they were reading the mind of the Savior or anybody else that was involved. Bottom line is the enemy can't read your mind. He can't read your mind. Listen very closely to this. He doesn't know what you're thinking. So your thoughts are safe in the context of your mind if you allow the Lord to have its way, his way in it. But in spite of the fact that he can't read your mind, he does have the ability to place thoughts into your mind. Now that doesn't mean you're possessed, that doesn't mean you're in trouble, any of those kind of things. That just means you're influenced, all right? Let's just call it what it is. The, the enemy has the potential to influence you, and he has the potential to influence me. It's true. He does. And those thoughts are things that, um, that you've all experienced. A lot, a lot of Christians, because of their immaturity, they think that everything that's in their mind is of their own doing. They've ne The thought that... The Holy Spirit would place a thought in their mind is just, you know, is just beyond the concept of, uh, of reality for them. The fact that the enemy can place a thought in their mind is something that they think is, is not even biblically true, but it is true. And you can produce your own thoughts and you can be influenced by your culture. The big issue here is not the fact that that's possible, which it is, and it does happen and it's happening in your life as it is in mine. The big issue is this. You can't just let it happen to you. I've used the illustration many times of, uh, of you coming home from an, an event or whatever the case may be, and somehow one of you, your spouse or you or your brother, sister, whatever the case may be, whoever lives in your house with you, left the door open. And you come in and there's four or five raccoons running all over the house. They're just, you know, they're watching TV and they're, they're uh, grabbing stuff out of the fridge and they're ripping up the couch and all these kind of things. And how ridiculous would it be? I mean, that's ridiculous enough as an illustration. But how ridiculous would it be if you just said to them, listen, guys, keep it down. I'm going to bed. Keep it down to a dull roar. Close the door. See you tomorrow. You wouldn't do that. You'd do everything you could in your power to get rid of those raccoons. A breadcrumb trail out the door. Uh, whatever it takes, you know. 
and you would get rid of them because you don't want them running around in your house. You don't feel safe and you know it's not, it's not something that you want for a lifestyle by any stretch. And then you try and figure out, well, how do they get in? And however they got in, you would secure that opening to make sure that they didn't get in again. That's just a given. That's even common sense, right? But here's the deal. It's not that case in our mind. In many cases, as Christians in particular, we have this sense that these thoughts are just, they're beyond the pale in terms of our involvement with them. They just come, they happen. Some of us are so uh, naive as to think that all those thoughts are ours and what kind of a bad person am I? Or some of us may think they're not all ours, but I don't have any ability to get these raccoons out of my house, so to speak. I just have to put up with them. I just have to live with them. Not true. In fact, it's actually the way and the means whereby you will have some of your greatest victories in spiritual battle. Listen closely. We'll walk through it quickly here. Just because I think a thought, in other words, just because I recognize a thought in my mind, doesn't mean that I've sinned. I want you to know something. That was the most freeing thing to me when I realized that truth. That if you allow a thought to stay for a length of time, it can progressively get to a place where it'll become sin. But just the fact that I notice that it's placed there doesn't mean I've sinned. I remember being a teenager, and, and I don't know whether it was you know, reading something that was salacious or something, something pornographic, or, and this thought would come into my mind, or looking at a woman the way I should, and I thought to myself, man, especially if they just walked by you, you know, when you're younger and you see them and it's summer and all, you know what I'm talking about. All of those kind of things would make you think, man, just bang, there's that thought. And I thought to myself, man, what am I going to do? Wear a blindfold the rest of my life? Maybe I should pluck my eyes out, you know, if I'm going to serve Jesus. And uh, the truth is, the fact that that thought has come into your mind doesn't mean that you've sinned, but it does mean you have to deal with it. And if you don't deal with those things along with some defensive weapons that we'll speak about in the next session, if you don't deal with those things, they'll take up residency in your life, and they could produce a stronghold over a period of time. There's so much freedom in that. Man, I just felt like I could get back into the fight, if you will. The fact that I have a thought in my mind, okay, I don't like it, don't want it to be there. Some of them are much worse than others. But I have the ability, and I'll share with you how you do that when you take your thoughts captive. I have the ability to get rid of that thing out of my life. Here's the crux. You've got to understand that's your and my responsibility. We can't just let it happen. We can't just passively say, oh, you know, I don't know how those coons got in here, but I hope they don't destroy too much property. Your mind or your thought life is a doorway of influence in your life, and it needs to be controlled. Again, it's not a passive statement. You need to control that. It's not, it's not that you strive after that. It's not that you spend your time saying, hey, you know, I, um, uh, I, you know, I'm just buckling down here. I'll be in six days of fasting and prayer, sackcloth and ashes to try and deal with this. No, there's a natural response to this that I'm going to share with you momentarily that helps you to guard that influence in your life in an offensive way. Defensive, as I said, will be next week. Often Christians will let their mind run amok and they can't understand why they struggle. Here's why you struggle. Because you've let these thoughts into your mind or they've found a way into your mind and you've known that they're there but you haven't dealt with them. You must 
deal with those thoughts. It's not an onerous task. It's not a yoke you can't handle. It's not your power, but it is your authority that says, I will deal with these things in Jesus' name. Let me explain. When Paul says to take a thought captive, the picture that comes to mind for me, this is just me, is cattle in a pasture. Now, I'm the last example of a farmer that you're ever going to want to find. I may offend some farmers that are listening this morning, so just cut me some slack here and give me some grace. Throw me a bone, however you want to describe it. But I, I like this illustration to describe what goes on in her mind. The, the cattle represent thoughts, and the pasture that they are in represents your mind, okay? Each steer, each cattle is a, each cow is a thought wandering around in that particular pasture. Any thought that comes into our minds needs to be taken captive, similar to a stray cow that you may not recognize. So if all of the cows in your pasture, for example, as a farmer, if you're a, um, if you're a, a, a meat farmer, I guess is how it's described, you know they're yours, and you give them freedom to have their way in the pasture and to graze and to you know, be fed and all those kind of things. In your mind, it's the same thing. There are certain thoughts that there's no question. As soon as you think them, you know that this is, this is safe and this is right as a Christian. Uh, like when you're worshiping the Lord or you're thinking good thoughts about other people or you're, or you're praying to him, whatever the case may be. Those kind of thoughts, you can just let have their way. But sometimes there's a stray cow that may have got lost from another pasture and ends up in your, uh, your pasture. I don't know if that happens. I guess it does. Um, but it does in terms of our mind. So there are thoughts that come into our mind, and the gist of it is this, that they don't belong there. They just don't belong there. They're not like the other, the other cows in the sense that I own them and I've allowed them to have their way in my mind or my pasture. This cow is not mine. I don't own them, and they need to be out of my pasture. All right? So I don't recognize them. So what do I do? I go to the cow and I check its brand. All right? In some of, its, uh, in some of the places, there's a uh, piece on their ear, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a, an identification badge. In others, it's a brand. I don't know if they still brand cows like they used to. Uh, but it's either way, it's identifying who this belongs to. If you've made a mistake and that particular brand says it's part of your ranch, you just let it go. But if it's not, you take authority over that thought and you check it to find out where it came from. One of the ways to know for sure if a thought is of the enemy is if you feel condemned. If this makes you lust, if this makes you jealous, if this makes you uh, condemned, whatever the case may be, you don't even have, that's the, the, the insignia, that's the identification you need. It's done. You know for a fact that this is not of the Lord, okay? If it's from the Lord, you just let it run free in your mind. And you know that. This is, in all honesty, as I've worked this through in my life, this is like a split-second process. This is not something that requires you to get out your Strong's Concordance and, you know, in your Thompson Chain Reference Bible every morning and say, okay, I just got to, you know. It's not that. It's like literally split-second. I just know. I know. Because his spirit will witness with your spirit as well as to whether those things should, should be involved in your mind. If the, if the particular thought in your mind is not of the Lord, here's what you do with it. Here's how you get it out of the pasture. Here's how you get it out of your mind. This is what you do with it. First, you rebuke it out loud. 
It has to be out loud because the enemy can't read your mind. So you can think those things in your mind, but they'll have no effect in the spiritual warfare you're involved in because he can't hear you. So you say something of this nature. Let's just say it's a, let's just say it's a thought that says, um, you know, God's forsaken me. And that just comes again and again and again in your mind. So when you hear that, when you sense that in your mind, this is what you say, I rebuke that thought that says that God has forsaken me and I command it in Jesus' name to get out of my mind completely. All right? I command it to leave my mind. I rebuke it in Jesus' name and command it to leave my mind. Now, sometimes it doesn't work the very first time. As you get more authority in your life, it will. But sometimes it doesn't work the first time. You just have to say it again. But that's only part one, okay? The second part is I follow up the rebuke by quoting a scripture from the word of God that speaks truth to the lie which the thought tried to get you to believe. Let's go back to the idea that God's left me. All right? The only weapon the enemy is afraid of, you see, is the scripture. He's not afraid of your thoughts. He's not afraid of what comes out of your mouth necessarily. He's not afraid of your good intentions. He's not afraid of you at all. All right? He hates the potential you have. He hates that you're made in the image of God. He hates that your name's written down in heaven. But none of that is enough to get him to stop tempting you. The only thing that gives you authority over the enemy is the word of God. And so when you rebuke that particular thought, you follow it up with a scripture that says what? In the case of, uh, I feel that God's left me, you say, listen, enemy, listen, thought. The scripture, the word of God says, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Bang. Just like that, you have his attention. All right? You have his attention from that point. What I need to do is follow up my rebuke with the word of God. You see, the enemy's not impressed with your thought life. You can think all you want thoughts, but he can't read those thoughts. Even if you speak the rebuke out, that's for the purposes of you using your authority over that particular thought. But if this is going to be successful, it can't just simply be your authority. It must be uh, linked and bound to the word of God. So every time you speak a rebuke out about a particular thought that you don't want in your mind, it's important for you to follow it up with a chaser, if you will, with, with a scripture that speaks specifically to that particular thought. For example, if your thought that you're struggling with is the fact that, you, um, you know, that Jesus has left you, and that's in your mind all the time. And it's something that, that I, however it got there, it doesn't matter how it got there, sometimes it's a stronghold, sometimes it's just a thought. The way you deal with that is to rebuke that out loud, as I said. Speak it out loud because the enemy can't read your mind. Speak to the thought. Command the thought to leave in Jesus' name. Say, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ and command it to leave my mind. And then I follow it up with a scripture that says... Because the word of God says, Jesus himself saying this, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. So you leave my mind. I want nothing to do with you. I rebuke you. I bind this unsavory thought. I bind this, uh, this thought of Jesus not being with me to the word of God that said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. It will take power over that thought and it will leave my mind. So immediately... Follow up the rebuke by quoting a scripture from the word that speaks to the lie which the thought tried to get you to believe. 
The only weapon the enemy is afraid of is the word of God. He's defeated by the word of God. It's the only one you need. Paul called it the sword of the spirit. You see, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what was the weapon he used against the enemy? Let's be honest. He was all man and he was all God, even though he just started his ministry. And if he wanted to get into a, a tussle of some sort, I don't know what it would look like because Jesus' body wasn't glorified, but obviously the enemy, enemy was speaking to him. I don't know what form the enemy was in. But he could have just literally destroyed the enemy just like that. It would have been over right there. All right, He could have because he had all of the power that was uh, given to him from an, an omnipotent father. But he didn't do that. I often wondered when I was younger why he didn't do that. And the reason he didn't is because he knew that he was being an example to us. The same people that as a result of a fallen creation, we're going to fall into this sense of needing to fight spiritual warfare as well. So he gave us a pattern to follow. And I'm going to read it to you from Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you'll notice that he goes on to the next temptation and leaves that one. So that would give you the impression, rightfully so, that that temptation was dealt with completely. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The enemy's pretty good when it comes to the scriptures. And you can tell that from back in the beginning of the day when uh, he tempted Eve in the garden. Jesus responded and said, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Done. Down off the pinnacle we come. Why is that? Because the enemy has to agree to the word of God. Jesus didn't even say, this is me speaking. Listen, you know who I am. I'm the son of God. Uh, there's no necessity for you to do this. You just, you just need to get out of here. No, he took the scriptures because it worked as the sword of the Spirit for him. It'll work as the sword of the Spirit for you and I. The last temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And the truth is, the enemy had the, the authority to do that. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And what's the Bible say after that in verse 11? The devil left him. The devil left him. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that Jesus was tempted by the enemy, and instead of taking his index finger to the head of the enemy and killing him, or if that is even possible, it is possible. I don't know how it would happen. He used the word of God to rebuke the enemy. The reason he used the word of God, folks, to rebuke the enemy is to be an example to you and I that we would do the same thing. We don't have any power over the enemy whatsoever. We're not like Jesus. Jesus is the word in flesh. We're not. We have the word within us. We have his spirit within us, but we don't possess the same power that he possesses except that's, or that's anointed us. But we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if we'll use that 
The enemy, hear me, the enemy has to obey. He does. If you're in the midst of a spiritual warfare, you need to understand that the enemy has to obey what it is that you're, you're telling him to do according to the scriptures. It's got nothing to do with you. But as soon as you pull out the word of God, he's defeated and he knows it. And once he's convinced that you're convinced that you're on the right path, he'll leave you alone. Just like he did Jesus, it said, the enemy left him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power, the principles of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is alive. It's alive. And it has effect in our lives as well. And has effect as a spiritual weapon in spiritual warfare. So you can understand, I hope, that, that your physical, your fleshly weapons, and they have their place at times, but your physical and fleshly weapons will not afford you the victory that the Word of God will. So just to, re, just to re, um, review, just really quickly. When you think a thought in your mind, you haven't necessarily sinned just because it's present there. The enemy has the ability to place a thought in your mind, and depending on what you're watching on TV, it's not hard to see culture uh, in, you know, kind of in, uh, involve themselves as well in that. It's not necessarily uh, a demonic piece all the time, but it can just be something that's just, I don't know, bad theology or just something you don't want to dwell on in the flesh. So the enemy can't read your mind, but he can place thoughts in there. Just because I've had a thought doesn't mean I've sinned. But the doorway to my mind, be it through my ears or my eyes, the doorway to my mind has great influence in my life, and I have to guard it. I have to be careful. I have to take authority over it. How I do that is taking thoughts captive, and if they're not of the Lord, I rebuke them in Jesus' name. Follow the rebuke up out loud. It has to be out loud because the enemy can't read your mind. So you're speaking out loud, out loud for the sake of your soul and for the sake of the enemy of your soul. You speak the rebuke out loud, follow it up with a scripture that's apparent to that particular uh, thought that's against the word of God and command it to leave your mind. And you may have to do that in some cases a couple of times. But the, the enemy has to listen. He has to listen. I don't like talking so much about him but I do like uncovering his schemes, and this is one of his schemes. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you, if you haven't found yourself in a place of, of, of uh, being spiritually offensive, I don't know if that's the right term to use, but anything but passive as a Christian, I, I encourage you, I adjure you, pull yourself out of that mix. It's the worst and the most fruitless theology on the face of the earth, that you would just... You know, just let whatever happen. You wouldn't do that in your financial life. If many of you, you would not maybe do that if you find yourself in that place spiritually. You'd not do that with your physical life. You'd not do that with the relationship you have with your spouse if you're married or other people. You wouldn't do that. So why is it we think it's all right just to passively allow life to happen to us? Don't let that happen. Take control of your thoughts. Have a victory that you've never had before. It'll take you to places in the spiritual realm and in your life, where everything will just start to open up for you, you begin to understand that God has great things in store for you. Because he does. <laughs> Seriously, he does. So Jesus, I pray for everyone that's listening. Thanks so much for those who tune in on a regular basis. 
for wherever they are. I know that you're sovereign and you minister to people through even the means of digital uh, speaking. So I just pray that you would speak to their hearts, everyone that's listening right now. I pray that you speak to their souls and their spirits. I pray that if there's any spiritual passivity there, Lord, that they would repent of that and you would draw them to you and you would show them the things that you're asking them to do, not to be saved, but because they are saved, Lord, something that would allow them to walk in a greater level of victory with you. I pray, Lord, that we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and that you would use us for your glory in powerful ways. And we'll just give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much for listening for these three sessions. The next session that I do will be on the defensive weapons. There'll only be one session for that. And it'll speak to the things that you can sow into your life and should sow into your life that will keep thoughts out of your mind in the first place. God bless. Thanks very much. Appreciate having you with us.